praise the Lord. I'm reminded of the illustration there, verse 3. Perverse and foolish oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. The picture there of a shepherd injuring his sheep that has gone astray so that the sheep will no longer go astray. He breaks the sheep's leg and then carries the sheep back home to be with him. We can obviously see the picture of the gospel there that God breaks a sinner and brings him home to himself. That's just... As a side note, there's something the Lord brought to my mind I trust to say before you, before we come to the message. I want you to turn today to Jeremiah chapter 24. Jeremiah chapter 24. I believe this is the place the Lord would have us turn to today for His message. We'll read, uh, we'll take time to read the whole chapter. It's only ten verses. And then we will ask the Lord's help one last time before the message. Jeremiah chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. The Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple of the Lord, after that Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the carpenters and smiths from Jerusalem and had brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe, and the other basket had very naughty figs, which could not be eaten, they were so bad. Then said the Lord unto me, What seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs, the good fig is very good. And the evil, very evil, that cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. For I will set mine eyes upon them for good, And I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. And I will give them an heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. And as the evil figs which cannot be eaten, they are so evil." Surely thus saith the Lord, So will I give Zedekiah the king of Judah and his princes and the residue of Jerusalem that remain in this land and them that dwell in the land of Egypt. And I will deliver them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt, to be a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all places whither I shall drive them. And I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence among them till they be consumed from off the land that I gave unto them and to their fathers. Amen. Trust the Lord will add His own blessing to this reading of His Word. Let us pray. 
Our Father in heaven, we come one final time, Lord, to ask thy help in the delivery of this message. Lord, that you would take away the words that are unfit to be spoken, and you would give the words, only the words, that are in season for the souls of thy people. O Lord, set a watch before my mouth and keep the door of my lips that I would utter nothing outside of the message of God for the souls of thy people. O Lord, we ask this, believing that you will answer for Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray. Amen. The verse... The main verse from this passage that I want to draw your attention to is verse 5. It says, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. And it is specifically the latter part of that verse that I want you to meditate with me on, for their good. The sense of this passage is that God is showing the prophet Jeremiah that the Babylonian captivity is for the good of the Lord's people. You and I might find that somewhat easy to see, easy to accept. But it would not be the case if you were living in those days and you were experiencing that trial, that hardship, that judgment. Most of the nation of Israel had been committing sin before God for years, and they've refused to take heed to the Lord's message through His prophets to repent. Now, through Jeremiah, the Lord has been telling the nation of the impending captivity that they are going to face due to their sin. Not everybody that was taken captive was directly involved in the sins of Israel. We read later of Daniel the prophet. He identified with the nation's sin, but he himself was not an idolater. And so we see that in the midst of this judgment, the Lord was fulfilling His purposes towards His people and toward the wicked at the same time. I want to show you how we see that the Lord is showing Jeremiah that the Babylonian captivity is for the good of the Lord's people. And we see this from the passage in, in two things. We see God's picture in verses 1 through 5. And we see God's purpose in verse 6 through 10. You see there God's picture, verses 1 through 5. The Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple of the Lord. After that Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, the princes of Judah, with the carpenters and smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. The Lord sets before Jeremiah this picture of two baskets of figs 
the one basket, verse 2, had very good figs. And these good figs represent the captives, represent those who'd been chosen to come out first from Israel, to come out first from Jerusalem, to be taken away. And the bad figs represent the rebels, represent those who refused to heed the message of Jeremiah and go outside of Jerusalem. You see that in verse 5 and 8. Verse 5, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah. In verse 8, And as the evil figs, which cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Surely thus saith the Lord, so will I give Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his princes, the residue of Jerusalem, and them that remain in this land, and them that dwell in the land of Egypt. The good figs and the bad figs, God's picture. But you also have God's purpose. What is the purpose that God reveals in this passage? Well, He reveals His purpose for good to His people. So he says that He sent them out, verse 5, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. And what is that good? Verse 6 and 7 tell us. It says, For I will set mine eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up, and I will give them in heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. And so we see here that God specifically has a purpose in mind for people that are unsaved in this captivity. Now, it wasn't just for their good, this captivity. It wasn't just for the good of the unsaved. It was also for the good of those who already knew the Lord, Daniel being an example of that. But this captivity referred to here was specifically for the good of those that did not know the Lord as well as them that knew the Lord. So it, this God's purpose was for the salvation of the good figs. And God's purpose was for the judgment of the bad figs. We see that in verse 9 and 10. For he says there concerning the evil figs, I will deliver them to be removed unto all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt, to be a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse, in all places whither I shall drive them. And I will send the sword the famine and the pestilence among them, till they be consumed from off the land that I gave unto them and to their fathers. So we see there God's purpose and God's picture in this passage. I bring your attention here today because something that many believers struggle with is the purpose of God in the suffering of His people or in the difficult experiences that they face. I'm sure that all of us could testify to difficult experiences that we've had, difficult sufferings that we've faced, and we've struggled, if we're honest. We've struggled to see the purpose of God in it. It is easy as we did this morning, it is easy to read 
Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. It's easy to read it. But it is hard to understand how all things at all times work together for the good of God's people. That's something that's hard to be understood. There are events that take place in our lives that leave us wondering how any good could possibly come out of a certain situation. There is no doubt in my mind that this is how some of these people felt. How could they not? And what a message that Jeremiah is told to deliver to these people. Can you imagine being Jeremiah? And as these captives are, are ripped from their homes, taken from the promised land of God, taken from all that they know and love, taken from the worship of the temple, taken from the ability to sacrifice, taken from the ability to fellowship together as people, as a nation under the God of Israel. Can you imagine what they would be going through just in the the turmoil of their souls? And then Jeremiah is told by the Lord that he is to preach to them that it is for their good. You can imagine the looks that he would maybe receive, let alone the words that maybe he he would receive from preaching that message to these people. It's for your good that this is happening to you. And yet, this is a reality in the experiences of all God's people in all ages. It's a hard thing to understand. But I submit to you that here in this passage is an example of Romans 8.28 being worked out in real life. It's not just a a theory, as it were. Now, what Paul's dealing with is not a theory. And there are things there that we could look at that would show that he's speaking of a reality. Even in the latter part of the chapter, like we read this morning, you see the sufferings he refers to. But for many, it's hard to understand how all things work together for good. But here, there is an example of all things being worked together for good. And so I want you to consider this passage, in, from this passage, what God considers good for His people. What God considers good for His people. Because the doctrine that we learn from this passage is that God has a purpose for good in all the experiences of His people. God has a purpose for good in all the experiences of His people. That's what we are to believe based on this text. What other conclusion could we come to? What other event? I mean, you imagine you're a, you're a part of the nation of Israel, and this is happening to you. There could almost be nothing worse than this happening to you, being taken captive out of the promised land with no hope of returning in your mind. Now, the Lord gives them promises later on, but at this point, they don't see that. 
They don't understand how this is working together for their good. And yet God says it's for their good. God has a purpose for good in all the experiences of His people. So under this, I want you to consider first that God's ultimate good purpose is to glorify Himself. God's ultimate good purpose is to glorify Himself. We read Ephesians 4.11, He works all things after the counsel of His own will. All things after the counsel of His own will. And so, understanding that God's ultimate good purpose is to glorify Himself, the question may be, well, how does He do that? How does God glorify Himself? How does He accomplish that good purpose? There were three things that I submit to you are the the primary ways, at least, that God glorifies Himself. And the first one is clearly seen in this passage, that God glorifies Himself by converting sinners to Christ. God glorifies Himself by converting sinners to Christ. Verses 6 and 7. And He tells them that I'm going to set mine eyes upon you for good, Bring them again to this land, and I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them an heart to know me. That's what makes it clear that the Lord is speaking of people who don't know the Lord. He says, I will give them an heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return unto me with their whole heart. God glorifies Himself by converting sinners to Christ, by converting them to Himself, by bringing them back to understanding that He was the Lord their God. They had a head knowledge of this, you know. It wasn't as if they were ignorant in this way. But God is going to give them a heart to realize this knowledge in an experience of salvation and bring glory to Himself in their conversion. But not only does God glorify Himself by converting sinners to Christ, God glorifies Himself by conforming saints to Christ. By conforming saints to Christ, God glorifies Himself. And let us dwell here for a moment. Romans eight twenty-eight through 29 says, And we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Verse 29 gives great help as to understanding what that means. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is the biggest part of the all things working together for good. That you and I and every other believer would be conformed to Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate good for each and every one of us. And that brings glory to God. How does God conform us to Christ? 
We can see from this example of the Babylonian captivity, there are, there are three ways, really, in general at least, that God conforms us to Christ. The first is through suffering. Through suffering. It's probably our least favorite one, if we're being honest. Through suffering. You see, the people referred to in the immediate context didn't know the Lord. But people who were carried away captive outside of this specific group referred to did know the Lord. Or even some that maybe aren't referred to within this group that knew the Lord. We think of Daniel as an example. Daniel was carried away out of Jerusalem into Babylon. Carried away in the captivity. And we learn when we read the prophecy of Daniel that from the earliest days he served the Lord. From the earliest days he took a stand for God. And by all accounts we would say he knew the Lord. And so why did Daniel have to go to Babylon? Daniel went to Babylon to suffer. There was suffering that was going to be involved in his going to Babylon. But it was not only through suffering that God conforms his people to Christ. It's also through prospering. And think about that, that God actually conforms his people to Christ through prospering them. We often think that, it, that it's all suffering. But the Christian life is not all suffering and again, I would use Daniel as an example. Daniel in Babylon experienced both suffering and prosperity. And by his suffering, God then gave him prosperity. Prosperity that was for God's glory. Prosperity that was used by Daniel to promote the things of God. Daniel became a high official in the nation of Babylon. God exalted him to a height a position of great height in their government. So Daniel experienced both suffering and prosperity during this Babylonian captivity. Not only through suffering, through prospering, but also through punishment. Through punishment, God conforms His people to Christ. That's a harsh one, a hard one that we have to face. But Hebrews 12, 5 through 7 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth, dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Punishment. God conforms his people to Christ through punishment. There were people that were involved in this Babylonian captivity that knew the Lord, but were involved in the sins of Israel. And this Babylonian captivity is for their good. It's to show them their folly, to show them their error, to point them to repentance 
to turn away from their sin. And God in the same way does that in the life of the believer. In the same way with Daniel, we see that example again. Suffering prosperity. And also in the lives of the other Israelites that were taken away captive, punishment. And it is through these ways that God conforms His people to Christ. Our suffering helps us to identify with our Savior's suffering. Our prosperity helps us to realize and enjoy the blessings of being in Christ. Knowing that any good from God that comes our way is only because that we are in Christ. And punishments. Punishments conform us to Christ. Because when you are punished for sin as a child of God, it is in the reality that God deals with us as with sons. He doesn't deal with us as, as unbelievers. His punishments are perfect punishments from a loving Father. And what purpose do those punishments serve? We read in Hebrews 12.10 that we might be partakers of His holiness. That's the purpose of the punishments, that we might be partakers of His holiness Conformity to Christ. So when we suffer or prosper or face punishment, we are conformed to Christ. The third way God glorifies Himself is by judging the wicked. We can also see that from this passage. God glorifies Himself by judging the wicked. Because He says... Verses 8 through 10. Concerning the evil figs, concerning those who rejected the message of God, concerning those who weren't a part of the captivity. As the evil figs, which cannot be eaten, they are so evil. God says, I will deliver them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt. And God glorifies Himself. By his judgment of the wicked. But not only is God's ultimate purpose to glorify himself, but secondly, I want us to consider that God's good purposes extend to all the experiences of his people, of his elect. God's good purposes extend to all the experiences of His elect. Verse 5 shows us that. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. His good purposes extend to all the experiences of his elect. Experiences before conversion and experiences after conversion. Is that not true? That as we see here, that God was dealing with people that were yet unconverted. 
And he's saying that as they are taken captive into Babylon, that it is for their good. To what end? That it's going to drive them to repentance. It's going to drive them to have a heart to know Him. That He will give that heart to them to know them. And so we see that even in the experience of the elect before conversion, God is working together for good. And again, we see that after conversion, God is working in all the experiences of His elect for good. That is hard to understand as we look at the experiences of our life. It is hard to understand in all the ways God is bringing good out of our experiences. One example of this, uh, aside from Daniel, would be the life of Joseph. We read of Joseph in Genesis 50, verse 20, speaking to his brothers after the death of his father. He says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. God meant it unto good. His brothers meant it unto evil. Joseph suffered for two years, if I remember correctly, two years in prison as an innocent man accused of adultery by Potiphar's wife. You can imagine the promises that had been made to Joseph. And then he sits in this prison house as an innocent man for two years. You can imagine the thoughts that would go through his head. You can imagine the questions, what is God doing? How is any good going to come out of this? And yet... If this had not happened to Joseph, if his brothers had not sold him into slavery, if he had not been in that prison when Pharaoh needed his dreams interpreted, then Joseph would not have been put in the position that he was as the governor of Egypt. And the messianic line would have been lost. Jacob and his sons were starving. And the only way for them to eat was to go to Egypt where Joseph was to receive help from him. And if God had not brought those events, those experiences to pass in Joseph's life, Joseph would not have been there. And he would not have been able to deliver Jacob and his family and preserve the messianic line. Think of the significance of that. Those events that God put together to bring to pass His good purpose. Now Joseph was either told by God or was able to discern why he had to suffer. Because he says in Genesis 50, they meant it unto evil, but God meant it unto good. He knew 
the reality of the things I've just said, that if that had not happened to him, then it would have been disaster. So Joseph was able to know. But sometimes, God alone knows why one of his children has to suffer in a particular way to accomplish his purpose. You and I are not guaranteed to know why we go through every experience. But what we can know, what we must believe, is that it's for our good. Thirdly, here I want you to see that God's good purposes in all events, in all the experiences of His people, are perfect. God's good purposes in all the experience, experiences of His people are perfect. Because we are tempted to look at the experiences of our lives the experiences of others, even the experience of Joseph, and question, why did it have to be that way? Why did it have to be that way? Why couldn't it be this way? Why did I have to suffer this way? And it's not all unmerited. There is a, there is a time... There are times in the lives of the people of God that are full of great difficulty. And there's nothing wrong with asking why. But the danger is to begin that we think we know better than God. In Psalm 18 verse 30, says, as for God, His way is perfect. You can imagine these Israelites being told by Jeremiah this is for their good and all the things that would come into their mind. Why couldn't it be this way, that way, or another way? And yet God had His perfect way in this Babylonian captivity. His perfect purpose would be accomplished through it. His purposes in all the experiences of His people are perfect. They cannot be improved upon. You, nor I, nor any other creature will ever know better than the Creator. So that is what we are to believe based on this passage. What are we, are to, what are we to do in light of this. What are we to do with this passage? You and I. Well, I have five things that I would suggest we are to do in light of this passage. Applications for our souls. The first is that by God's grace we would truly believe that God's good purposes extend to all the experiences of our lives. That God's good purposes extend to all the events of your life, to all the experiences of your life. To truly believe that, 
Because it's easy to say that. But sometimes it can be very hard for the child of God to actually believe that. When tragedy strikes, when a calamity comes, when suffering is severe, it is not always easy to believe that God's good purpose is even in this experience toward me. The second thing we are to do is to humbly accept that God's way is perfect and His wisdom is infinitely beyond ours. It takes humility to accept that. It takes humility to submit to the reality that God's way is perfect and His wisdom is infinitely beyond ours. But that's what it takes to to go through an experience like this. It's it's the ability by God's grace to submit to His way, to His wisdom, and to acknowledge that I don't have a better way. That if I was put in a place to change my circumstances, to change my experiences, that I would wreak havoc on my life. Because we don't even know how changing one experience, one event in our life could drastically change the entire course of our life. But God knows the end from the beginning. He knew Joseph's life from the end to the beginning. And He knew every single experience that Joseph needed to have in order for him to be the man that he was called to be, in order to be a type of Christ. The third thing is that we are to prayerfully meditate on how God has brought to pass His good purposes in the worst experiences of our life. What experience could be worse for the Israelites than to be taken away from the promised land? And so, as the prophet comes and says, this is for your good, I submit to you that as we face difficult experiences, as we look back on our life, at horrible experiences, things that, that, that we, we would rather have not done or rather had not experienced in any way, that we are to prayerfully meditate on how God has brought good out of man's evil. Joseph, I, I couldn't believe that he didn't do that that he didn't look back on his life prayerfully considering how God used the evil act of his brothers to bring about good. That is what we have to do. The fourth thing is that in light of Scripture, in the light of Scripture, consider 
what God may intend for you to learn by the events taking place in your life. When, when hard experiences come, difficult events transpire, what do we do? Not only do we prayerfully meditate, but we go to the Word of God. We seek God's counsel to understand what He may intend for me to learn from this trial or this experience. And the last thing that we are to do is do not allow yourself to grow bitter against God for any experiences that have taken place in your life. Because that is one of, if not the ultimate danger. That these Israelites would become bitter. Would become hateful toward God. Would resent the Lord for allowing or bringing to pass the captivity. Because God sent the captivity. It's not like He just let it happen. He actually sent it their way. And the danger for them, the temptation for them, would be to allow themselves to become bitter. And it's the same temptation for every child of God. Through life's difficult experiences and and hard events that take place, that we would become bitter. That is what we must not allow to happen. And I would submit to you that the way to not allow yourself to grow bitter against God is by doing the other four things. By the grace of God, of course, all by His grace, but truly believing that God's good purposes extend to all the events of your life, humbly accepting that God's way is perfect and His wisdom infinitely beyond ours, prayerfully meditating on how God's bringing all things together for good according to His purpose in our lives, and in the light of Scripture considering what God intends for me to learn by the events taking place in my life. Doing those things by God's grace can help us by the Spirit of God's work to not grow bitter. I bring this before you today because the Lord brought it to my heart to preach this message. And I trust that He will use it to be a blessing to your soul. And as you read Romans 8.28, or you read the account here of the captivity, or you read the account of Joseph's life in Genesis, or Daniel, or any other child of God in the Bible, or when you look at your own life, you'll see, you'll believe that God has a purpose for good in it all. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before Thee 
in light of thy truth. And pray that you will impress it upon our hearts, that you will help us to take this word with us. Lord, that you would bless it to us, that you'd take away any words that have not been of the Spirit, and that you would apply every word that has been of the Spirit to all of our hearts. Lord, thank you for this time of worship. Continue to bless our souls throughout the day, Lord. And as we sing this final hymn, Lord, we pray that you will impress this truth upon our hearts and depart us with thy blessing. For Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray. Amen. Hymn number 501. Hymn number 501 we'll sing just before we depart. Wonderful hymn to close the service with. God leads us along. Hymn number 501. In shady green pastures so rich and so sweet God leads His dear children along. Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads His dear children along. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright, God leads His dear children along. Sometimes in the valley in darkest of night, God leads His dear children along. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. Though sorrows befall us and Satan oppose, God leads His dear children along. Through grace we can conquer, defeat all our foes. God leads His dear children along. Some through the water, some through the flood. 
some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. Away from the mire and away from the clay, God leads his dear children along. Away up in glory, eternity's day, God leads his dear children along. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. Amen. Praise the Lord that He gives a song. May the Lord bless and keep each one of you in the coming week. It's been good to be with you today. And we commit our time to the Lord. Trust that He'll bless us uh, the remainder of the week. All right.